Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. My name is Ben Standick. I do cover the Washington football team for The Athletic and talk about them here on this here podcast, which of course you can always find on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else you do your podcasting. I'm excited to be back with you guys. Um, don't don't have my, my, my usual um, audio set up quite yet, but we'll be back to normal here in a moment. But we're back from Richmond. The Richmond portion of training camp is over. And to help me break down what went down in Richmond, um, I had two great guests. We, we, we spoke. I spoke with Matthew Paris from the Washington Times and Steve Wino from the Associated Press while sitting in a car in Richmond and uh, and watching cars uh, pa- try to parallel park right in front of us. That was a uh, that, that added an element of danger <laughs> to, to, to the conversation. Um, we got into a lot of different topics. What we saw from the quarterbacks, you know. The idea of is this competition? What, what are we talking about here? QB one, more realistically, QB two. How did Fitzpatrick Heineke look? Uh, w- we got into all that. We of course had to talk about the uh, the growing list of players who are on the COVID nineteen list, including now All Pro guard Brandon Scherf, who was added to the list on Saturday. Washington has six players um, on that list. Uh, that's obviously a huge factor going forward here as they go through camp and he- prepare for the regular season. You know, we got into the return of Landon Collins, the continued ascension of Terry McLaurin, some other uh, players that, that, that stood out to us during camp, some hopes, some concerns, and looked a little bit ahead to what's going to be going on uh, coming up here next week and beyond in Ashburn. So we'll get all that here in just a couple of minutes. And of course, um, you know, make sure you uh, check out what I have over on The Athletic. If you, uh, you can subscribe 50% off the uh, the, the the standard rate for non uh, members. Um, so yeah, lot, lots to lot, lots to get into, and I won't step on too much of what we had to say in that conversation. But um, look, I, it was one thing we didn't really discuss was just the idea of being back out in Richmond. Um, you know, obviously no 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 training camp last year in Richmond. Um, the two sides, meaning the city and the team, agreed to get back together at least for the for these uh, few days. Um, I wrote about this a bit over on the Athletic this week. Had a chance to talk to Jason Wright, and also the mayor of Richmond uh, was there as well. And we got that perspective and talked to Jason Wright also about some other things with the name change and, and kind of where this organization is right now following the Wilkinson report. I asked Jason Wright about that um, as well, so you can check out that on The Athletic. But look, it was good to see it was good to see the fans out and just to see people. And while it was certainly not all the way back to normal by any stretch, because a lot of different things like this for us, from example, from like a behind the scenes sort of situation. The um, the way it used to work in Richmond was, you know, there's the standard podium sessions with Ron Rivera and a select player or two. But you'd also be able to grab players as they were walking off the field and, and, and get a one on one or introduce yourself or things like that. And we're not there yet. We were restricted from doing that. We we couldn't go into certain parts of the, the, the fields. We can't go inside the building um except for our little media area anyway, but we couldn't, we were not allowed into the locker room space the way we would have been normally during a season. Um, so we're still, you know, a bit of it at arm's length away from that. Uh, but it was, look, it was good to see, you know, it was good to be back out there. We did, we were in the media room with Ron Rivera and some of the players. Um, Terry McLaurin came through, Brandon Scherf, Collins, Fitzpatrick, Heineke, among others. And that was good. A, a start in that direction. Also, I had a chance, like I said, to be around fans and to see people. Um, 
had a chance to talk to um, Colin Dumphy uh, at WFT News 1 on Twitter, introduced himself to me after he was there. Uh, Jason Wright was on the field at one point, um, and he was listening. It was on Saturday, and he was talking to them, and I happened to be there. So he um, introduced himself, and it was great to to see him. And some other people were kind enough to to shout out to me and some of the other reporters. And, And I tell you, like, you know, we all really appreciated. I appreciate the fact that we are back out there. And like, I'll just say like flat out, I, I probably don't say this enough here and certainly not even in my own head at times, but definitely grateful to, to be, to have this opportunity. You know, I grew up as a, I think a lot of, you know, a fan of this team. And, you know, if you had told me when I was you know 12 years old, Hey, uh, one day your job will be to cover the Washington football team and interview the players and the coaches, you would, uh, you know, I would have been like, sure, whatever, pal, <laughs> but whatever, whatever you say, but, but here we are. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun and I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's a job. You got to take it seriously. But, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't a bad place to be. And I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast, reading what I do and, and supporting along the way. Um, uh, before I get into the conversation with Matt and Steve, I just wanted to talk quickly here about some of the contract details for Jonathan Allen and and Logan Thomas. Um, got those um, over the, our, our friend uh, Jason Fitzgerald with OverTheCap.com put out these numbers and, and, and shared them with me. Um, you guys know I've talked a lot about the defensive line situation and how how is Washington going to be able to keep all four of their you know starters who are first round picks um, and give them real contracts. You know, not just something minor, but like you know, have the player be satisfied with the deal and the play and the team be satisfied in a way that they're not, from a cap standpoint, it's not um, going to hurt, you know, hurt them at any given moment in time. Because basically, it's a lot of money to invest in one unit, even as good as, good as these players are. So we get the first sense here of, of a little things with the Jonathan Allen's deal. Rem- reminder, he signed a four-year con- uh, new, new contract or $72 million, $30 million signing bonus. Over the cap says it's got uh, it includes thirty five point six million in guarantees and there's some annual per game bonuses and workout bonuses and things like that. So the breakdown is is essentially like this from a cap number perspective. John Allen in so remember he had the he had the fifth year option. So really there's five years on the books twenty twenty one through twenty twenty five. This year the cap number is seven point one four million followed by nine point five million in twenty twenty two. Then things escalate. 21.5 in in 2023, another 21.5, and then 23 million in 2025. That's the cap numbers, right? So those th- those last three years, th- th- those are huge numbers, right? That that's not that, that's a that you can't you can't hide you can't hide that number. So the question is, okay, well, when can Washington get out of this if they wanted to? Not saying that they would. Jonathan Allen, obviously, a very good player. You want to keep these guys around. But what can they do? Well, these next two years, they're they're underwater. They, it doesn't make any sense to uh, to to. Obviously, we're not going to expect them to cut them anyway. So we can move past these next two years, jump to twenty twenty three. He's got eighteen million of dead money, but it's only three point five million in cap space if he's cut pre June one. I'm not going to get into the post June one stuff because that, that that doesn't really happen as much. There's obviously more savings if you do it that way in that year, but we'll, we'll focus on the the pre June one cuts. In 2024, 12 million dead money with 9.5 million in cap savings. The, when you get to 2025, it's 6 million dead money, 17 million cap savings. So the 2025 season, we can just sort of sort of write that off one way or the other. Either they'll get a new deal or he won't be here or whatever. But these next four years, this deal is not designed for an early exit. This, this deal is not designed for that at all. And uh, that, again, 
That's not necessarily a bad thing at all. Jonathan Allen's a pretty good player. Um, that, you know, when you, but when you get to the 2023 season, according to the over cap numbers, so for example, these next two years, his percentage of the cap on these deals, 3.6%, then 4.6% in 2023, 9.6%. Now, granted, the cap, the cap is supposed to explode at some point, at least by 2023, um, you know, with new TV deals, with, with the revenue getting back to normal levels following this pandemic. Um, so the cap will go up. So I'm not 100% sure if that 9.6 cap percentage in 2023 is fact, what that's factoring. I guess it's factoring in expected numbers, but you know, I think uh, talk to people around the league, they're expecting a big hit. It, anyway, my point is that it looks to me like, barring the unforeseen, that John Allen's going to be here for the next four years. Now in 2024, again, you can save 9.5 million, but you're still dead money, 12 million. So, you know, that's still a lot of money. So, you know, it feels like John Allen will be here, um, I think, uh, for, for, for a bit. And again, we'll see what that means when, when with the other players, Deron Payne is now to some degree on the clock with his deal. Um, we'll see where he is at um, for sure. Maybe, you know, maybe seeing John Allen's deal get, is, is a little extra incentive for Payne, who's been really good, who's been, you know, uh, you know, some might say he's their best all-around defensive lineman right now. Granted, not much of a pass rusher, but obviously he gets after it inside. He can he can help collapse the pocket. He can be very good. We'll see if he can go to another level, get a Pro Bowl berth, and you know, do the things that maybe um, sets him up for this type of, of of payday. And if not, at some point, Washington has to figure out what's the best way to maximize all these players, and that could include trades. It could include signing them all. But at some point. There's a price to pay, and we know there's no quarterback on this roster right now making huge money, whether you're dreaming about an Aaron Rodgers trade or just drafting a, a, somebody in the first round. At some point, you're going to have to start paying a quarterback um, significant money over time, and that has to be factored in when you sign these players along the defensive line. There's also Terry McLaurin's up for an extension next year, and there's a lot of guys on one-year contracts. So in any event, that's where we're at on the Jonathan Allen contract. Logan Thomas is a little more straightforward. Um his deal, um, where is the numbers here? Uh, three years, $24.065 million, includes a $7 million signing bonus. Uh, cap number this year, $4.145 million, then $6.4 million next year, followed by eight point seven five and eight point three one in 2024. From a dead money perspective, let's right move past this year. In 2022, it's 5.2 million dead with 1.2 million in cap savings. In 2023, 3.5 million dead money with 5.25 in cap savings. So, not a huge. So, really, these next two years, you know, we would imagine Logan Thomas would be around, but Washington can can a bit more easier, uh, a bit, bit easier get out of this if they want to. Again, hopefully, it all works out and Logan Thomas continues to to improve off of the great year he had last year the, the surprise year his first as a as a starting tight end in the NFL put up big numbers and he warranted getting um, a new deal and um you know I, I think on this one you know we'll just have to see there's no obvious replacement in the wings they drafted John Bates we'll see about Samus Reyes uh but you know it's Logan Thomas's world and, and the rest of the tight ends are just living in it and for now Washington has given him some money to uh to to keep going here and um and and we'll see. But, you know, anyway, interesting numbers with John Allen in particular. Just wanted to share that with you guys. And now I'm going to share my conversation that I had in a car in Richmond with Matt Paris and Steve Wino. And, of course, make sure you can check out my work over on The Athletic. But here we go. 
talking, wrapping up Richmond here on the Standard Room Only podcast. I'm sitting here in a car in Richmond, Virginia, about to head home. Training camp is over. We watched four days of practice. Training camp's not nearly over. Well, training camp, in, training, <laughs> yeah, that, that that is fair. Training camp in in Richmond is is over. They're headed. The team is headed back to Ashburn to begin on to to, to go back again on Monday. But we are headed out of here. Um, we've seen football. We've eaten too much food, and we just uh, watched Matt Paris almost had a heart attack as a truck nearly backed <laughs> into his backed into his car. Um, we're going to talk. Uh, so I'm here in this car. It's Matt Paris's car. Uh, Steve, I'm, and I'm using Steve Wino's recorder, Matt with the Washington Times, Steve with the Associated Press. So I basically am just doing nothing but talking, and they're just helping me uh, helping me out here. Um, we're going to talk about what we saw at camp, the quarterback, uh, quarterback uh, situation, some surprises, things like that. But I feel like you know we got to talk about the COVID vaccine, the the, the vaccine, players landing on the uh, COVID list today. Brandon Scherf and David Sharp. Um, Made that unwanted list. That's up to they're, they're up to six players. Which right? It, that, that Washington now has the most in the league. Is Second that, most behind the Arizona Cardinals. Second most behind the Arizona Cardinals. Said Steve Wino. So, um, not a good list. And you know, we're not going to get into the these, hopefully not into some of the political aspects of all this. But from this purely football perspective, this is going to be a looming topic for a while here, in particular because Washington is, you know, n- you know, really near the bottom of the of the league of. Uh, uh, percentage of unvaccinated players and now the, and now this and you know it's not so much that Brandon Scherf is out and therefore wow um, you know what is Washington going to do week one against the Chargers it's just that and the more this happens you know it, it throws you know it it, it 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 slows down the process of what they're trying to do now Brandon Scherf won't be on the field for a certain amount of days Matt Ioannidis has already been out Curtis Samuel and, and so on and and so Matt this is a um you know, it, it, it's a topic that obviously a lot of people would just, you know, heck, from a societal standpoint, which we could move on from. But from a Washington football team perspective, uh, it, it, it is here. It's a thing. Ron Rivera frustrated. And uh, it's not going away. It doesn't appear anytime soon. Yeah, it's affecting them more than last year, too, because if you look at their numbers, only two guys during the regular season went on the COVID list. No one missed a game. I believe they were one of three teams uh, to not have a player miss a game because of COVID last year. You pointed that set out me today when we were talking and you know it's just it it puts them in a bad spot they're behind the rest of the league besides one team um and it is just it's a it's a nightmare for them and Ron Rivera you know he said that he's uh, immune deficient and just the fact that they're not doing it for him almost is just a little bit uh mind-boggling but you know this is the situation they're going to be in for I think most of the year because you know you look at the numbers and they are going up and they've gone up over the last two weeks but when they make cuts come august that the percentages will likely go back down so we don't know which players are vaccinated or unvaccinated all the way but um you know there are going to be some big names probably who still have to follow the, these protocols very very strictly because of the refusal to get the shot Right. I mean, and we don't know, Steve, definitively, you know, uh, the, the list of players. But, you know, look, there's some anecdotal evidence, like when players come in to the media room that we were all in. If, you, if, you're, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. If you're unvaccinated, you do. You, you could be vaccinated and wear the mask. So that's why we can't completely say. But, you know, several players, Brandon Scherf, just yesterday came in wearing a mask. Uh, Chase Young. Landon Collins, Taylor Heineke, um, Logan Thomas, right, and and obviously these are significant names. And I thought one thing Ron Rivera has talked a lot about it this week. One thing he said today that I thought stood out was, 
you know, he, he went into great detail about how he's trying to explain to players that the vaccine is, you know, it isn't something, it wasn't some rush job that scientists have been working on this for some time and, you know, some pre- previous research. And then it was, you know, expedited across the world as this was happening. But he also said that he thinks there are some players who were just dug in so much they're not even going to change their mind. So to the point that Matt was saying that this could be a problem, and it's not just for Washington, it's for other teams as well, but that's sort of an example of, this is, it's just such an unknown right now where this is going. Again, it's been this way for 16 months, but now that we're here with this specific aspect, we don't know. Any minute now there could be an outbreak, and that's what makes this, it's just purely in terms of getting ready for the football season, you know, a, a big unknown variable. Yeah, and, and remember when this team was injured all the time? Like, remember when the, the whole training staff was fired because guys kept getting hurt? And, and there were such injuries that hurt this roster. This is like an injury. This is, and, 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 and it's not, it's not the, the, the soft muscle, the, the, the kind of the muscle tears and those sort of things that our boy DJ Swearinger talked about and, and guys weren't in shape and the medical staff, this and that. But this is a similar situation in that from a football perspective, that, that this could hurt the team by guys not being available. And, and I think if you told any player, hey, I can keep you from tearing your AC up, you need this shot, and you will not tear your ACL this season. Everyone would take it. And, and the fact that this is, has become that sort of thing, and I can't believe I hadn't thought of, of this sort of angle until now, that, that it, you're preventing yourself from a potential absence of, of, going, of, of doing your job. That's at, at the very base level of this. Forget about society in general, but you're, you literally will lose paychecks if you have to, to forfeit a game or, 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 or get sick unvaccinated, you're going to lose money. You're, you're literally food off your table. To, to, to quote Alfred Morris, i got to feed my family. Uh, you're not going to have that game check. So honestly, from a base level, it is you don't want to miss games. You want to do your job. And getting the vaccine makes people more likely to do or less likely to miss games. Yeah, I mean, to follow up on that, you look at a guy like DeShazer Everett right now. He does not have COVID, but he's on the non-football illness list. And so he's missed all of camp so far. And it's been just four days. But, you know, this is that's a position on the roster safety that is really, really competitive. And now he's behind in the race. And you expand that over COVID because unvaccinated players have to miss at least 10 days if they test positive for COVID and be in the protocols. And even if you're a close contact, you have to miss five days. And when there's only three weeks of camp, every day matters. I know that's a football cliche, but, you know, there's some really competitive uh, roster battles going on right now. And it matters for these guys. And, you know, there's different timelines for players if they test positive, depending on whether they're vaccinated or not, or if they're or if they're cl- close contact situation or, or, or not. But as Rivera pointed out today, if a guy, depending on which one he's in, get, you know, either test positive or is a close contact, he could miss a certain amount of days. And if, if today was, you know, a two days before a game, then those players would be out. Now you're shorthanded in a tough spot, let alone if this happens in December and you're fighting for the playoffs or things like that. So, um, you know, it's a topic that's not going away. Uh, and, you know, if Washington is getting hit with it pretty hard. Again, Brandon Scherf, David Sharp today on top of Curtis Samuel, Matt Ioannidis, Cornelius Lucas, and uh, Chris Miller, deep reserve. Um, unless you guys have anything else to add to that, we can uh, talk a little let's bit. Let's talk football. Let's talk, some, let's talk some football. So, when we were all up in Ashburn back in OTAs and uh, minicamp, I know there was some talk amongst amongst us, frankly, nobody else was watching it. People were saying, saying things along the lines of, you know what, Taylor Heineke probably played better than Ryan Fitzpatrick during that stretch. And my basic stance was, uh... Taylor Heineke was facing the backups, Chase Young, um, you know, not not so much at Chase Young, whereas um, 
Ryan Fitzpatrick is going up against the ones, and I've been and I've been kind of scoffing at this idea of a quarterback competition for the starting job throughout. Now it's only four days um, of this, so it's not like this is some definitive answer. But if you're sitting in my seat where you didn't think it was a quarterback competition to begin with. This this has not changed my mind at the least. If anything, now it's much more about okay. Let's be realistic. This is about the two because Taylor Heineke, again, there's no pads and all that, and, and a lot of what Taylor Heineke does well doesn't translate into a, a stilted practice. But he did not look like a guy set to compete or, or, or start an NFL game. Uh, to me, Fitzpatrick was sort of the, the, the Fitzmagic that we expect. Some some really fun, exciting plays, and some of the throws you're like, where'd that go? But he clearly, to me, is the answer. I don't think there's, I mean, again, I haven't thought there was a debate one minute, uh, Matt, but watching these few days of practice didn't change my mind at all. Yeah, I was a little bit more willing to go there than you were in terms of a competition. Maybe I didn't view it as a competition, but Rivera wanted to see if anything, Fitzpatrick outright earned the job. And, you know, seeing these practices these last few days, it's just, it's clear how much of a gap there is especially today I mean I, I know it's just one practice but Taylor Heineke was was pretty bad today if not downright awful I mean his throws were just uh, off the mark off hands forced it into tight plays and you know that that's the fun part of Taylor Heineke's game is that he tries to make these plays that seem impossible but in, in the red zone it, he threw into multiple defenders and Derek Forrest picked it and it was picked off he just did not have a, a great day today and so yeah I think this is Clearly, Fitzpatrick's job, I mean, I think it's kind of been like that all along, but um, Rivera has kind of mixed in Heineke with the ones here and there, but it's not anything to, to say that, you know, Fitzpatrick will be the backup on, on um, week one or anything like that. Yeah, and and, and you, I think I'm with you, Ben. I think that if you had the preconceived notion that this wasn't a quarterback competition, you certainly don't think so before. And to hear Terrell Heineke say he didn't think it was a quarterback competition kind of hit the nail on the head for me of, look, whatever Ron Rivera wants to say, I think he regretted the Haskins thing so much last year that he just didn't want to make that mistake. Even if it's not a true quarterback competition, he wants to leave it open that if Taylor Heineke goes crazy and, and, and all that, that he might be starting. But you also have to prepare for, for Ryan Fitzpatrick could get injured, he could get sick. Like Things happen. We've seen strange things happen in the last 18 months. Uh, and so having Taylor Heineke playing and practicing as if he is trying to win a job or, or be a starter is a good thing. I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for him to realize, yeah, I'm probably not going to start unless something crazy happens, but you want him practicing and learning more of Scott Turner's offense and getting that, that chemistry with his receivers so that if, if Ryan Fitzpatrick does get hurt uh, or, 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 or blows up, throws a bunch of interceptions, those things happen and, and you need to bring him into a game, uh, then you have a, a quarterback who is ready. But, as you said about the number two competition, I do think there's a distinct possibility Kyle Allen, who is a Scott Turner and a Ron Rivera guy, if he is healthy enough off that ankle, even though he, he banged it up again today, uh, or tweaked it today, if, if he, when he is 100% from that ankle, I can see a, a, a scenario where Kyle Allen is the first guy into the game to replace Ryan Fitzpatrick if Fitzpatrick goes down over Taylor Heineke. Yeah, I mean, you know, you guys are, you know, highfalutin thinkers, and you, 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 you're asking Ron Rivera all these, like, important uh you know, questions about the the vaccines and other like big matters, and I'm focused on things like, hey, how come you didn't say Kyle Allen could be in the mix if you're saying Taylor Heineke is? Uh, these are important things to me, uh, and I agree. I think Kyle Allen 
could easily be the two. We'll see what this ankle situation is since it was the one that he had surgically repaired last year. So that's obviously a note. And Rivera basically said he didn't include Allen initially in the competition because he wasn't 100%. So we will see how that uh, goes. You know, um, boy, I'll tell you what, man. If you really want to have some fun <laughs> sitting in a car recording a podcast and and we, the cars keep parallel parking in front of us and Matt and to see Matt tense up and I don't blame him I'm tense I'm sitting in the front seat as well and it is uh it is it is it is a show three different cars have have, have backed into parallel park in front of us since we started doing this right what, this is spectacular what what, what was what, what was more tension filled seeing Cam Sims on the ground yesterday and like for a couple of seconds like, ooh, was he really bad or or or, or this for Matt I, I think for Matt it's definitely this well, it's, it's this but I mean for, for Cam Sims himself uh, glad, glad he's doing okay glad he's he's fine. Uh, I, I'm glad Matt Paris's car is okay too. Yeah, for for for, for sure. Um, all right. So obviously, look, we'll, we'll we'll get you know we have plenty of time to go through all, all the positions over the course of training camp for sure. But in terms of just these these four days in Richmond, Steve, I'll, I'll go back to you. Was there whatever it was a an individual player, a competition you uh, you 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 see unfolding something Rivera said? What was the biggest takeaway from you on a football perspective? Beyond the quarterbacks um, for this week, Landon Collins is back, baby. That's that. That was that was it for me this week. Was was him the the, the expectation? And I remember the eve of, of camp, he thinking and hearing things like, "Well, Landon Collins might be, might start on the, on the physically unable to perform list," and he looked good. He was cleared. He he is he looked like his old self out there. And I don't want to jinx a guy at all. I, mean, I don't think jinx, jinxes exist. But this is the guy who Washington thought they were getting. Uh, and 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 having him lose last year on on the on the torn Achilles and, and not knowing how anyone bounces back from injury like that, I, I think this this defense, which was already real good last year without Landon Collins, it, it has the potential to be. I don't want to overuse the word special, but it could be an elite defense if Landon Collins is healthy and his old Landon Collins self. Yeah, I think the most impressive thing about Landon Collins is just how good his instincts are. You know, obviously you need the speed coming off that Achilles, but the most concerning thing about Landon Collins last season for me was just all the missed tackles, not being at the right spot at the right time, just kind of being kind of off the mark, getting used to Ron Rivera's scheme. But it looks like he really has it down pat now. He just flies to the ball. He had this great interception in the uh, red zone today, just read uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick all the way and dove and picked it off. It was just really a remarkable play, and we're really seeing those instincts. And, you know, they'll use him probably more in the box this year, use him uh, more trying to blitz the thing. Landon was talking about the other day about how when Chase Young rushes outside, that gives an opportunity to for Landon to blitz inside, and it's hard for uh, opposing lines to stop. So, you know, they're really excited to have him back. And, you know, I didn't know going into camp whether Landon Collins would have to accept a, a lesser role with Cam Curl and maybe Bobby McCain would be the other safety. But it definitely seems like, you know, Cam Curl is – capable of playing free safety and Landon Collins has got to be that strong safety that they're paying I think 12 and a half million this year and I think if he can continue this he'll be well worth the money yeah I mean look uh you know again early in camp there's no pads and all that but Landon, Landon Collins look good I, I I concur as well and part of what's interesting for me is you know we just sort of talked about because of the guys who are landing on the COVID list that that delays maybe how you want to look at certain uh, certain things with that brand. And sure, if you had Wes Schweitzer and Eric Flowers a guards as opposed to your all-pro guy. Landon Collins' situation is the opposite. Uh, they, they have so many guys in the secondary they want to mix and match with that if you didn't have Landon Collins, and I thought he may not be around 
all training camp. I I didn't know um, when this all started. Now you can play this game, and we did see Curl and Collins and McCain in there together. We also saw uh, William Jackson and Benjamin St. Just on the outside with Fuller in the slot and then two of the safeties in, in the back, Jimmy Moreland out there as well. Then that's the thing, right? They want to have versatile pieces, but you can't start completely figuring out where everybody's going to be if you don't have all your guys. And that Landon Collins has been out there and has looked good. I think it's definitely a pretty good sign. Now, of course... I doubt his Achilles. I doubt he got faster after an Achilles tear, and that was already that was already the 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 the, the downside. So we'll see what happens when he has to really start covering, you know, tight ends and running backs. Um, you know, when when things get uh, get get real. Um, I'll go for mine takeaway. Like I, you know, I was thinking about some like position battles or some of the deeper cuts of guys, but I'll, I'll go with one of the one of the team players. I mean, you know, obviously Terry McLaurin is a great player and a helpful player, and he's got the team leadership stuff and all that. But there does seem to be a little bit of extra extrovertness out of him so far. Like we were, oh, sure. we where we were positioned. Um, on practice on, uh, for practice on the sideline when they would do stretching. Terry McLaurin and Chase Young were directly next to us. And to watch him, Chase Young, we see he's very extroverted all the time. But Terry is, is a, is, is, has been a quieter guy. He's been very much more uh, expressing himself in a fun way. He's, he's, a, he's a constant fan favorite. Little kids are always calling out his name. And he's not just a, playing it off too big. He's looking at them. He's smiling at them. I saw him today you know, give cleats to one kid and, and his gloves to to another but that idea of him being this team leader I think it was really taking hold even further and I really am intrigued to see what he can do considering the yards he's put up in the pros when he's had this clown car of quarterbacks sorry a couple of these guys uh you know he's not had a good quarterback now he's got Fitzpatrick who's going to throw the ball down the field I'm really excited to see what what, what Terry McLaurin is going to do from production wise but also take that next step as far as being one of the leaders um, of this team, uh, Matt, did you have, was Landon Collins yours or did you have one? Uh... Yeah, I, I would go Landon Collins. That that would be mine as well. I mean, if we really want to go deep cuts, I've been really impressed with Steven Sims, but, uh, you know, that's... Uh... Yeah, well, I think the wide receiver battle is a really fascinating one, and we'll, we'll definitely get into that as well, because I don't know how they're keeping all these guys, and is the punt returner coming out of that spot as well. Um, lastly, I guess... No, can I, can I, can I get my Terry McLaurin observation? Oh, please. And even something as, as simple as, as, as today, and, and caught that, that beautiful deep ball from, from, from Ryan Fitzpatrick, and just runs back and says, I see you, Fitz. Just the, the verbal, like, you could, ooze, you could see the oozing confidence from, from Terry McLaurin that, that is coming through as, as he is a young leader on this team. Yeah. But he's also he's confident in how good he is, and I think the chemistry between he and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be fascinating to watch because if there's an odd couple buddy comedy we can do out of this, <laughs> the, 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 the Terry and, and Fitz magic show, uh, the, the, I'm, I'm fascinated to see that, and that was the beginnings of this for me. Yeah, and, and you, you could pair up, it feels like Fitzpatrick or almost anybody for a, bud, a buddy cop movie, and that would be um, entertaining. Um, or on the flip side, something of concern, not necessarily thinking this is going to doom the season, but something that maybe is standing out to you um, r- right now. I, I, I guess I would probably just say for, for me, you know, um, see where we are with the offensive line. Again, it's hard to say exactly because there's no pads, but you know, Chase Young and Montez Sweat were in the backfield a lot. Now they're going to do that against a lot of teams, but Washington has you know two new tackles. You got Charles Leno on the left side. Um, you've got you've had Sam Cosby at the right tackle spot without 
um, Cornelius Lucas around. There's still some questions about the left guard, at least in the sense of, you know, Schweitzer, who has been out there for the most part with the ones, you know, we're not talking about an all-pro here. And, um, you know, I, I just think that's just such a big variable to any offense. You can be have all the skilled players you want, but if you don't have an offensive line, then we'll see. Again, maybe it's not fair to compare to compare what they're doing to right. what should be one of the better defensive lines in the league, but I just think overall that remains a question. And again, no Lucas because he's on the COVID list is delaying part of that process. How about for you? Well, yeah, I mean, even the backup lines too, like if one of these guys gets hurt, the, the like the James Smith Williams of the world and William Bradley King, like they're having an awesome camp just because they're really get into the backfield every time against these backup offensive lines. So, yeah, that, that would be the number one concern uh, for me right now. I think Sam Cosme is still coming along. I was very, I guess, impressed with the way that Chase Young just bluntly said the other day that the best way he can help uh, Sam Cosme is just to destroy him, and he was so matter-of-fact about it. And basically the reality is that he is destroying him. I mean... Sam Cosme, I think he'll be fine in the long run. These are just growing pains, but they both tackles look pretty outmatched at times so far. And the defense, this defense is really good. I think there'll be some regression there, but I think they'll still be a top 10 unit overall. And they're just, you know, they're the strength of the team and deserve, and rightfully so, I think. Yeah, and, and, and the offensive line thing, in a very general sense, is this team realized last year specifically and, and pre- previous few years is guys are going to get hurt. It's going to happen. So the mix and match potential, as you were talking about in the secondary, I think it really applies on the offensive line of, of knowing that if a Chase Rullier goes down, if Sheriff goes down, uh, Cornelius, Lucas, uh, Leno, that you have guys who are capable of, of stepping in, whether that's a David Sharp or a Cosme or, or, or whoever, that, that uh, Wes Schweitzer uh, or uh, Wes Martin, those sort of guys that you just need to know. You have to expect it. And, and honestly... Given how many of those guys could be in COVID protocol, uh, you got to be ready for, for guys to be sick and miss games and or test positive or have be close contacts and miss games since they're not getting the, the, the vaccine. So I, I think with all of that, that, that that's a, a very important thing of, of as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick is kind of facing pressure, he's also 38 years old. You don't want him taking a whole lot of hits and you don't really want to risk him getting injured. He's, as, 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 as we discussed earlier, he's kind of their guy. And, and, and to have depth of seven, eight guys, maybe nine guys on the offensive line who can play is important. Um, last thing, uh, today was the last day of, of, of camp and we had... In, in Richmond, <laughs> maybe this is a subliminal me me wishing more than uh, you know wishing this was so. You got a month more of this guy. By I know, very excited for that. Um, but we had a very unusual sighting today. That was the co CEO of the team, Tanya Snyder. We'd actually seen her in camp a, uh, at least once or twice, maybe twice before, but you know, sort of at a distance. This time, she was out and about. She was. Um, interacting with fans to a degree. They had a little mini footballs and some helmets, and she was literally throwing them into the stands. I think she might be ahead of... Uh of uh, she, she might yeah she might be ahead of Stephen Montez at this point for the fourth spot. Ahead of Taylor Heineken. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> well, 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 it was a bad day, but let's not go up. Yeah, the, the the fan base is a is 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 the Heineken hive. I'm not going to upset them with with this. Um, but um, but look, I mean, she was out, and then she gave she spoke a little bit to the fans. Um, and they had a, 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 a pep rally after the, the 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 practice, and just the simple act of the owner of the team doing something normal and human 
was a big deal. And I was saying earlier, like, it's like when we're judging Fitzpatrick, how much of an upgrade Fitzpatrick is, some of it is based on how low the bar was last year. Right. And maybe that's the case here. They're just simply seeing the owner out and about when, when we never see Dan Snyder doing anything in these ways makes it seem like it's a massive deal. Not really say massive, but like a bigger deal. But it was interesting to see it. And I just think this is a, a yet another example of a PR push that they've continued to do over the last few weeks. I've talked about this previously. I think it's pretty savvy of them to keep doing this. And they, and, and they are, this was another example to have her out here, I think is really interesting. Uh, So I was just curious what you guys thought. Yeah. And honestly, if it wasn't for the Scherf thing, we probably would have led with, with this because I I, I can't describe, I mean, this is my sixth training camp in, in, in Richmond and it was what top five weirdest moment I, I can remember in maybe maybe being around this team uh, total is is uh, Tanya Snyder who we usually never see in this public face on the sideline throwing t-shirts kind of hanging out with Jason Wright like watching the practice in a very public way that was the antithesis of Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder with their arms crossed watching mm-hmm. practice which was what we we were used to seeing and. and and it, it does speak to this kind of culture change that, that they've talked about and Tanya being in charge. And, and I do think she said, I'm, I've been on the sidelines for 22 years and I'm, I'm going to be more out there now. And, and look, transparency is a good thing. Accessibility to, to the owner for us is a good thing so fans can hear from them. And, and in this case, it was a speech for a little while. But interviews, a, a, a press conference every once in a while, kind of a state of the team like the president does or, or, or like a general manager does would change the scope, I think, of how people see and feel attached to the team. And I think this is part of what Jason Wright talked about when he said to all of us the other day of of kind of wanting to be transparent about the name process and rebranding and what we want this organization to stand for. Because what has it stood for for the last 20 years? It it, it has been a lot of big money spending and stupid free agency and a a bad culture and and an owner who who is... uh, Reclusive, is that if that's the right word, and and very much not existent, non-existent, and people will hear about him suing neighbors and those sort of like those sort of things have have added up over the years. But in this is this was another step to me in that, and, and I hope it was the first step of Tanya Snyder becoming kind of the face of, of ownership for this team in a very public way. Yeah, you know, uh, I agree with that, but I, I kind of still a bit skeptical in a sense, you know. This temporary uh, seizing, like taking control of day-to-day operations, it's only for several months. So she'll be uh, at the NFL fall owners meetings in the fall, and uh, we'll see if how prominent she is going forward. I think it would really help the organization if they did have someone uh, be the public face. But then again, that's what Jason Wright is for too. And sure. obviously, a team president is different than an owner. But you know, Tanya Snyder used the word new era uh, when talking about Rivera today and it got the crowd kind of fired up and I don't know necessarily I think they're trying to instill a new era here I don't know if I think people can be rightly skeptical I mean they were just fined 10 million dollars for past behavior like let's not gloss over that but they've sincerely tried to I think make a difference and I think more importantly the fans are uh, warming up to that I actually, you know what? I, I actually am less skeptical than you are, even if Dan Snyder. Wow! Just over. to be clear, you have no idea how insane that is to hear Steve Wino say he's more, he's less skeptical <laughs> I, than, I, I, than than anybody. But and go look, ahead. yes, yes, a lot of this is PR stuff. Yes, of course it is. I do think there there is a way I can see in the future, even when Dan Snyder takes over 
takes back over kind of the regular day-to-day running of the team, that Tanya is still the voice of the team. I see a, a way that, that even if Jason Wright is now sure. governor of Virginia at some point, years, I'm talking years from now, this is a process that's going to take five, six, seven, more, more than that years. I see a, a, a way in the future that this turns where Tanya Snyder becomes the public face of the franchise, even if Dan is, and, and even if she, along with Dan, are making the decisions behind the scene. Are, am, I, am I off on this, guys? I mean, check me on this if, if you disagree. I mean, well, well, I mean, look. Dan Snyder is is a looming presence. It would be ridiculous to to even consider that anything is 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 automatically going in in a straight and positive direction. He could at any minute say we're going to turn this car around and, sure. and go back to chaos. But I do think that there is potentially extra pressure that's coming from the NFL now that w- that he didn't have before. It was one thing when maybe you know they hire. Um, a Mike Shanahan or somebody, and you think, okay, maybe things, or Scott McClue, and you think things are going to go in a certain way, and then immediately, you know, his henchmen around him, whether it's Vinny Serrata or Bruce Allen or whatever, get in his ear, and things go back the way, the way they were. I do think there's more optimism here between the fact that there may be some pressure from the NFL. Ron Rivera and Jason Wright are the two people in his ear. They seem to be much better equipped to have this thing going in a positive direction. And I do think, like I said, they are at least from a PR perspective, Treating this like a product you want people to embrace as opposed to being arrogant about it. Like, I love the phrase to describe people, someone who's born on third base and thinks they hit a triple. Well, that's how Dan Snyder has been his whole his whole time as an owner. He kept trotting out these, these Super Bowl championships to say, look what we've done. No, you didn't do that. You bought this. You bought these trophies. You didn't do it. And this feels like the first time in a long time, or maybe in, in 22 years, that they're accepting that we need we mm-hmm. need to start over and get people and not just say we've done this before. You should therefore like us and don't worry and don't 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 fret about what's uh, what's going on here. Um, did you want to? Yeah, just to chime in quickly, like you kind of look at other ownership structures around the league and whether Tanya can still be involved even after Dan comes back. And you look at a situation like Buffalo where Kim Pagula is very still involved. I think yes. there is a scenario where she can be that public face and. You know, ultimately, this all comes back to football. And when we talk about building things, how are they building the roster? How are they doing this? You know, they took a huge jump last year going from three to seven wins. Like, you know, they were still below 500, but they kind of went about building this the right way, so to say. And you look at their moves this offseason and nothing is really that ridiculous. They're trying to incrementally build this along. They didn't throw a ton of money or a ton of draft picks to get Matt Stafford, for instance. They tried, but there was a, a certain point they didn't make a bold move for Mac Jones. They're, they're comfortable taking their time with this. And, you know, people just want hope. And that's kind of what sports comes down to. And Ron Rivera, you know, he knows how to sell hope. That, that's kind of his MO. He, he is a rah-rah guy. He knows how to get people fired up. And as long as people keep buying along with that and following him, then that, that they're going to turn this thing around in the right direction. All right, you're going to get fired up when you read Matt Paris's work in the Washington Times and Steve Wino's uh, work on numerous sports topics. He's literally writing an article while we're doing this podcast <laughs> um, about uh, an, about the NHL. So you want to check them out. Anything before I let you guys get back to your world? Anything else from from these four or five days that um, that that stand out, or anything that you're looking forward to going forward? If, you, if the answer is nothing, that's fine. But if you have a thought, I'm happy to hear it. No, I, I'm curious what you're looking for in the next month. Like, what what do you think is going to happen in the next month? And this is this might be vaccination stuff. This might be football stuff. Like, what do you, how do you see the next four weeks unfolding? Well, I mean, ultimately, I still don't know what this team is. I mean, like, you know, look, you know we didn't really talk about Fitzpatrick. I mean, 
he's shown to be the, the quarterback that we kind of all imagined that he could be. By the way, we got another car about the parallel park, so we'll see what happens here. <laughs> um, the um, you know, I mean, he he made some throws. You're like, wow, that's that's a great throw, a deep throw to McLaurin or something over the middle to Logan Thomas. But then there were some passes that just sailed, and you kind of wonder what's going on with this. And that's the thing, right? And of course, there's still you know no Curtis Samuel yet. Now they're going to be without Scherf. Um, you know, and I, by the way, I don't think Antonio Gibson's 100. Um, percent So you know, I don't know what this offense is, and to a degree. The defense will carry the day, but you've got to be able to have a consistent offense in the NFL to score enough points. And so to me, I don't know how much will determine this over the next month in camp. They're not going to you know, show too, too much. But at the same point, I haven't gotten necessarily the feeling of, like, yeah, I'm watching a great offense yet. And from that makes me wonder kind of where things are. Not saying it can't get there. I'm just saying we're not there yet. And that's kind of what I'd be what I'd be looking for. Yeah, like the path of them winning uh, to repeating as the NFC East champs are just, you know, above average average offense, stellar defense. And I have questions whether they can get to average offense. I don't think they'll be last in, say, stuff like DVOA, but I don't know if they'll be 16th either. It still is a very much a work in progress. And so kind of what I want to see in the next month ahead is just how this wide receiver competition uh, shakes out because there's only so many spots on the roster. Keeping seven seems kind of nuts. And, and if you're going to keep six... Who the heck is going to be the punt returner if it's not from that position group? Maybe you keep Danny Johnson, but there's a lot of competition in the secondary as well. So it's just hard figuring out special teams, especially this year, just because it seems like there's so many talented guys on both sides of the ball. And, you know, you would like to have them see the field like it is coming together. But, you know, with the increased schedule or the more difficult schedule I could see them taking a, a slight step back to I, I don't know I'm still kind of trying to figure out what their overall record will be as well yeah and again that's part of the story with the COVID factor if it's, it gets it harder to figure out when you don't have everybody around and we'll see what el- who else is uh unavailable in in the days and weeks ahead if, if there's anybody anyway I'm glad that Matt and Steve are available Appreciate uh, them, and thanks, of course, to everybody here for checking out the podcast. You can find more on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else you do your podcasting. You can go read me on The Athletic. But that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off, and until next time, see ya.